Welcome to Founders First, a show about mental health in entrepreneurship and how to build resilience to stay stronger, happier, and be more successful. You can engage more in the conversation by going to the App Store on your phone and searching Founders First Community. Today on episode two, we're speaking with Tez Steinberg. Tez is an endurance artist who has competed in dozens of marathons, one as long as a 145-mile trail ultra marathon. And we'll be talking about resilience because Tez is sitting on a rowboat in the ocean, making his final preparations for a solo row that will stretch from San Francisco to Honolulu, Hawaii, alone for 2,400 miles and most likely over three months, completely alone. So the first thing I have to ask, this seems pretty terrifying to most of us. I'm just curious about your boat. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, thanks, Aaron. Appreciate the opportunity to be here. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Cool. And if you hear a lot of wind, let me know. I can lean back and get a bit farther. The wind is coming from the bow right now. So um, just give me some feedback if you want me to change position or anything. All right. Yeah, sounds great. I'm on my rowboat, which is named Moderation. Uh, I've never done moderation that well, so I thought this would be my shot. Um, <laughs> the boat is a 23-foot carbon rowboat that was built in Fort Townsend, Washington. That's where I am right now. It's designed specifically for ocean rowing. So what that means is it allows me to carry everything I need for months at a time. I have it outfitted with 250 watts of solar, 200 amp hours of a battery bank of lithium-ion batteries, a whole bunch of communications equipment we can talk about. And it's basically a spaceship uh, for expeditions on Earth. And um, I've been working on getting this boat ready for over two years. And just last night, we launched it. You can see the boat launch just over my shoulder. We launched it and I'm tied up to a dock right now. And I'm uh, gonna spend the rest of today getting things ready getting the rudder on and then doing some training. So I'm um, just getting used to this new home of mine. Tell us about the color you've chosen there. We can see in the background a little bit of the boat color, and then you've also got an interesting volleyball right behind your head. So maybe you can share some yeah, of that, what you've lost with the style of here. Of course. Well, I realized this expedition and ocean rowing in general can be a little intimidating for people. And I wanted to make it a little more relatable and inject some humor into the situation. So I went with a, a glittery, glittery pink color depending on how the light hits it it might be grapeish it might be uh might be purple um but it's a glittery pink and you can't see it right now but i can show you in a bit it's got a unicorn off the, the unicorn horn off the front and the unicorn ID, ID decals i just i wanted to make this thing have a little playfulness to it because i'm not a martyr and i think i think i can i, I plan to have a lot of fun while doing this Got it. And that's your friend. Is your friend named Wilson behind you? The volleyball. You know, that's that's his trade name. Um, I haven't I haven't come up with a better name yet. But Wilson has been signed by a whole bunch of people to send me their well wishes, and it's one way that I can stay connected to the community when I'm physically isolated. Yeah. So how long is this going to be your home? How long are you going to be living in just this environment of this boat on water? Two to three months. Okay. What that's, what's that going to be like? Where do you sleep? Like, how do you, how do you eat? How do you do yep. all the things that we normally need to do when we're living? So I have the cabin door open right now behind me. This is a watertight, airtight cabin. There's another one in the stern of the boat. 
And back here I have a bed, if you could call it that. It's a couple of pads, a couple of cushions that are situated over a flat panel that have hatches that open up so that all the space can be used. But in here, I also have the brains of the boat. So the MPPs that connect all of my solar panels to my batteries. I have my chart plotter, which is uh, my Garmin GPS. I have one of my VHF radios. I'll store my satellite phones. So in here, I can manage all of my equipment, my navigation. I also have some additional displays on deck that I can see while rowing. And in the event of a storm, when I'm not able to row, this is where I seek shelter. So sometimes that happens. Uh, it's not, doesn't have to be a dangerous situation, but this is where I would spend that time. And it could be up to three, four days that I would basically not leave this cabin other than to um, you know, potentially empty a waste, waste vessel. Mm -hmm. So how do you get air in there? If it's watertight and it keeps you safe, yeah. how do you breathe when you're inside of it? <laughs> I just breathe really slowly, Aaron, really slowly. All right. No, there's, there's, there's a really small hatch, a little, little uh, vent canister that I can, I can slide open and, you know, once a day I'll open up the door as well and get a little air in there, but for sure it'll be a stuffy experience. I mean, people think what could be the hardest part of this project? And there are lots of parts that I've experienced so far that are very hard. And, and what I've heard though, from other ocean rowers is the days in which you're stuck in your cabin waiting for the weather to open up again is when it's hardest because you just feel powerless. So, you know, we can talk more about that later, but it's those moments where I think some of the tools and techniques I'm learning with the Founders Spur system will be most handy. One of the things you've been open about is your mental health resilience, and you're kind of alluding to it now, but and, and how that's part of your life journey. Um, of course, mental health for entrepreneurs is one of our main focus areas with Founders First System. So this really resonates with us. I think the story of what first got you started in racing is really um, powerful as well. So can you tell us about what made you run your first race? I was depressed. I was in college going through a period of depression and I was lucky. A friend invited me to join him in a race. He was like, look, what you're doing isn't helping you right now. And um, you got to get your ass off the couch and, you know, stop smoking so many spliffs and, you know, get, get, get moving. And as you've heard through the story, of course, physical exercise helps you feel better. And that's part of it. But it was reminding myself that I can achieve goals and getting a growth mindset back that I can change, reminding myself that I have some agency and power. Mm -hmm. And so as I did the first race and the second race, I thought, wow, well, I'm actually pretty good at this stuff. Turns out the longer the race, the, the better I do. So it started off with some short triathlons. Within a year, I did an Ironman, came one position shy of qualifying for the world championship um, and realized, wow, this endurance stuff really speaks to me. And it also translates to the rest of life, right? That growth mindset of realizing whether it's a physical race or whatever challenge you're facing, that you can learn the tools and techniques to tackle that well. And then that spills over into the rest of your life because it's not just domain specific, it's universal when you realize that you have that agency that you, that you can grow and learn. What did it feel like finishing that first race? You've never run a long race before, you finish your first one. What are you like standing, crossing the finish line, standing there decompressing? What are you thinking? What, is, what does it feel like in the moment? Well, in my very first triathlon, I was a total noob. I had no idea what I was doing. And I started my sprint to the finish too early and ended up puking before I got there. Okay. And so that, that was, that was kind of rough. It was, it was just a sprint triathlon. It took me a little more than an hour. And I just passed out in the grass afterwards. I completely fell asleep. And I, and I was thinking, gosh, in two months, I'm going to run a half Ironman. How the hell am I going to pull this off? Mm 
Um, but you know, you learn quickly and, and, and I managed, but, um, when I, when I finished my first, um, a few months later, I did my first marathon and that was a really hallmark moment for me because as, as I, as, as you've heard in, in the story, when I was running that race, as I got close to the finish, I was about a mile away. I was so tired. I thought I can't go any farther. I'll just walk the rest of the way. And just as I slow down, I hear a voice behind me yell, run! And he sounded genuinely angry. So I took off, you know, and sprinted to the finish with a willpower I didn't know I had. And I got to that finish. And, I, and, and that last mile was the most important part because it surprised myself by showing that I had another gear still. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't a physical source of energy that that came from. It was a mental shift. And mm-hmm. it's that mental shift. That is the most important part because in endurance sports, yeah, fitness matters, technical skills matter, but ultimately it comes down to what happens between your ears Mm -hmm. uh, and what's in your heart. And that moment really taught me that. So when I crossed that finish line, I was just absolutely elated and and shocked. And because I just realized, wow, there's so much more to this still that I'm still learning. Yeah. Yeah. So these huge runs you've done have obviously been incredible feats, but the period of time you've done them over is obviously hours and, and days and multiple days, right? So you're starting a journey now, which is multiple days and, and honestly months. What do you think the, the strength? Um, so maybe first, like wh- what's the first moment you think you're going to have that, like can't make it to the finish line moment? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Aaron, I've had that feeling many times already because I've been working on this for over three years. Yeah. You know, I, building the boat for over two, but it takes a while to even get to that point to commit. Mm-hmm. So there have been many moments in which I thought this isn't going to happen or I don't want to do this anymore. And as far as how to keep going in those moments, um, you know, there are a lot of different levers. One is, one is community and support. And again, that comes back to what you're doing with Founders First. Because it's not mm-hmm. just tools and techniques, it's community and accountability. Um, where where i'm gonna feel that on the ocean man i i don't know like the 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 first week of this row is the hardest part because i have to break away from the continental shelf which extends you know depending on where you are in california anywhere from uh 30 40 miles off off the coast and it's really really rough water you think oh you get you know 10 miles off the coast it should be deep it's actually just about 100 feet deep all the way out to 30 miles so the water is really really rough and the winds are blowing me back to shore. And so anytime I take a break, I'm losing ground. I could spend an hour trying to go a mile and in five minutes lose it. Mm-hmm. And so in that first week, I'm probably not going to sleep very much, just a couple hours a day. And um, that's really where it's a race. Even though this whole row is, is solo, self-supported, there's no one on the water, there's no support boat. That first week is like a race because I need to get far enough away from land into a safety zone where I can then rest again. But after I get off the shelf, then I have another 100, 150 miles before I might be able to pick up the trade winds. And then it'll be more consistent. So although I don't have a sail, the trade winds will help me drift in the right direction and not push me in the wrong direction. And so the real mission, the first chunk is get off the shelf and get get into those trade winds. Yeah. So most of us on this call, including myself, are not (laughs) endurance athletes, but Um, we're faced with big challenges ourselves in our work and life, um, massive mountains that we feel like we need to climb to get where we need to be. And you mentioned a minute ago, finishing that first big, that first, I think marathon you said, um, and getting to the finish line because, you know, somebody changed the way you were thinking about the energy you had. There was a mental shift that happened between the ears. 
So how do you feel that mastering mental health affects your performance in, in other parts of your life? I mean, it's essential and, and, it, and it goes across the board because it's getting out of a reactionary space. You know, that growth mindset's one, um, but it's so easy to react to the events around us. And in ocean rowing, there's very little that's in my control. Very, very, very little. It's just what I can choose to do about it. And not taking things personally. It's, it's easy when it's the ocean. You're like, okay, it's not doing this to me. It just, it's just what's happening. Mm-hmm. And that same perspective applies to relationships. It could be a personal romantic relationship. It could be a business relationship. But don't assume someone is doing something to you. Be curious where it's coming from. Be curious what it might be teaching you, what you can learn from it, what is in your power, and, and come at it from a sense of curiosity and humility. Mm-hmm. And mental health is essential for that because if you're coming at it from a defensive position, you're not going to be able to resolve anything, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely universal. And I know that when I'm not taking care of my mental health, and that involves their physical inputs to taking care of your mental health. I know if I'm not eating well and exercising, my mental health will suffer. So it's not just focusing on my mindset, but taking care of my body so that I can focus on my mindset. Mm-hmm. And being able to do that means I can put in huge work days. But if I'm not taking care of my body or, 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 or priming my mind, I can't put in big work days. And if I do, I'm just going to be digging myself a hole, right? Mm-hmm. So it really helps in all areas of life, which is how I've gotten so captivated by this endurance racing stuff, because this is just a piece of what I do. I have a day job as a management consultant, background as an entrepreneur, started a co-working space, ran a couple of nonprofits. And that was as I was getting into endurance sports. And I realized the same lessons that I learned training and racing and, and developing the mindset and, and taking care of my body and mental health helped me in all of these businesses. Yeah, so we've talked about, talked about habits um, for maintaining mental and physical resilience and how that's so critically important to tackling big challenges. Um, in our peak ability group in Founders First, that's pretty much our entire focus. So that's what we're helping founders do. I was really excited to hear that you've been using the system to prepare for your journey. As you're thinking about what's ahead, um, will you be using what we teach in Founders First system during this journey? Um, just curious a little bit about your daily routine. Like if you're, if you're, you know, your job is to power this boat to get across the ocean, how can you take a few minutes off to work on your mental health? Um, Shouldn't you be rowing? Well, the good news is when rowing, I still have use of my mind, right? And that's a lot of time. So I won't step off the boat the same person as I step on. Mm -hmm. And that's part of what drew me to this is it's, it's a growth experience and inherently will require me to be practicing all of these things throughout. And so I'm really grateful that we got to meet and I've learned about Founders First and I've learned some new tools that I can use on this trip. Mm-hmm. A handful of them, starting the day and finishing the day with gratitude. You know, um, I do it on land and I sure as hell I'm going to do it on the water. It's absolutely mm-hmm. necessary. When everything is going against me and I'm being blown backwards, gratitude journaling. Mm-hmm. Um, mantras or affirmations. You know, in that 145-mile race, a mantra that I used that was really helpful is this is what I came for. Hmm. The challenge, the walking, the doubts, to overcome them, this is what I came for. And when I'm being blown backwards on the ocean, that's not the only reason I'm doing this. There's, I'm also raising scholarships. I'm also raising awareness about plastic in the ocean. That's part of it. 
but there's the personal experience too. And from that personal perspective, this is what I came for. And sharing the story, right, through what, what I'll send back to you, Aaron, for the Founders First community and, and the other digital assets we're creating, a documentary film, sharing a story on social media, et cetera. Sharing that story with other people is what I came for. So when I'm getting blown backwards and I know that I'm going to go back again and overcome that, that's why I'm here. So these aren't things that I have to stop my day to do. I can do them while I'm going. And for me, that's a big part of mastery. It's when it's integrated into your actions and it becomes a habit where it's when you're starting, be super intentional. I know I have to set aside some time in the morning and the evening to do this. And, and, and even when it's not a habit to, uh, or when it is a habit, still doing, doing that bookend is, is a great way to, to kind of start and finish the day on a great note and get yourself ready for good sleep. But when it's something that comes up naturally, when you're triggered, when I'm triggered and I remember in that moment to use a mantra to reorient my mind, that's when it, it kind of rounds the bend from being something I have to think about and do to when it's just second nature. And that's when I find I can really excel. You're going to be sending back regular updates from the water. And so we'll be sharing them inside the Founders First community so people can keep track of where you are, I, I'm just thinking ahead to how different your environment and your mindset and your your even your probably your physical health will be from time to time over these updates. Um, how often can we look forward to hearing from you once you're on the water? Well, I'll be sending content back at least a few times a week to my media team. We'll, we'll be loading that content on an interactive dynamic map. So you'll be able to see all the content on the route I travel, not just in discrete blog posts or social media posts. So people can follow along on that. And also, Aaron, what I'm doing is setting up uh, an archive so that my media team takes all of the photos and videos I send and puts them into a Google Drive folder. So you're welcome to pull from that at any point and share photos and videos if, if um, you know, you, you'll be on the, on, the, uh, on the feed for that too. So it'll be consistent every week. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. Yeah, I just, I'm thinking about like, even just like how your face is going to look, how your emotion is going to look on these updates from I'm, week to week. I'll start off completely clean shaven. And what I'm going to do every day is take a photo of my face and my hands because the hands absolutely deteriorate. They become a complete mess. Hmm. Um, and every day, a photo of my face and my hands. And at the end of the row, I'll be able to make a time lapse of, of the evolution over the course of the, of the journey. Oh, wow. Which is 60 to 90 days, you said, right? Yeah. So I'll, I'll come back looking like uh, Tom Hanks from Castaway. So Wilson and I will be able to get some, get some uh, you know, throwback memories. <laughs> That's great. So uh, your organization, the United World Challenge, is, is focused on ocean conservation, and you'll be rowing across the Great Pacific Garbage Patch on your journey, which you mentioned. So can you tell us a little bit about the mission with United World Challenge and what you hope to share from visiting this garbage patch in the middle of the ocean? Yeah, so a couple of things, Aaron. One, one piece of what I'm doing is, um, well, plastic is everywhere. Uh, we become kind of numb to it because it's so useful. We use it for everything. And on this boat, I have tons of plastic, right? We need it in our, in our world, but we also need to just pay attention to what we do with it. And so as I cross the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, I'll be sharing photos and videos of what I come across. Now, it's not an island of trash. It's, it's so dispersed, you can't see it in satellite imagery. Uh, just 1% is at the surface. And so most of it I won't see, but I will still see all sorts of things every day. It's just not through an island per se, but it's going to be a wild experience to be thousands of miles from land, having not seen anyone for 45 days and be seeing signs of people every day. 
And mm-hmm. so sharing that story, I hope to shift people's thinking a little bit just to change our patterns and our habits. Uh, it's simple stuff like I carry reusable bamboo cutlery everywhere I go and I'd never use plastic cutlery. It's a small shift and it's actually a better eating experience, right? Um, small things like that can make a big difference. And um, so that's, that's one piece is raising awareness about that. I'm also doing research. So I've partnered with a researcher at Scripps um, Institute of Oceanography. And what I'll be doing is putting on little pieces of double sticky tape on my cabin, both cabin faces, and every day collecting a sample of microfibers from the air. Because it turns out plastic, microplastic isn't just in the water, it's in the air. And it's even, I know you're based in Boulder, Aaron, it's even in the Rocky Mountains. You think the lakes and streams are pristine, they are, but they have microfibers in them that are distributed through the clouds, through the atmosphere, and through the rain. Um, so it's, it's literally, plastic is literally everywhere from pole to pole. So I've partnered with this researcher to be able to gather what types of microfibers are in the air in the middle of the ocean. Now, most of these microfibers are near land because they come from our clothing in a lot of cases. So what we'll be able to track is how the concentration of microfibers changes as I get farther and farther out into the ocean. And the question is, does it increase again as I get out to the Great Pacific Garbage Patch because these little particles become airborne through uh, sea spray from the waves. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the 60 to 90 day trip, I'll have 60 to 90 samples of different plastics and we'll be able to compare the data I collect, the data that a pilot is collecting as he flies from the North to South Pole, collecting the same, using the same double sticky tape method to collect microfiber samples from you know 20,000 feet up. So those are, those are two pieces of the United World Challenge mission, uh, engagement, research, and then the third is education. So I'm raising scholarships for schools called United World Colleges. And that's actually where the name of United World Challenge comes from. When I was 17, I got a scholarship to one of these schools. They're international high schools dedicated to peace and sustainability, and they run off of scholarships. So I got the scholarship when I was 17, totally changed my life. And ever since then, I wanted to pay that experience forward to someone else. So when I decided to row across an ocean, it seemed like the perfect way to do that. And I had been thinking up until this past week that those scholarships would go to students from coastal regions suffering climate change. But in light of everything happening this week, as an American, it seems like the right thing for me to do to actually dedicate those funds to students of color from the United States. And so I just got off the phone earlier this morning with the UWC in the United States. And the plan is to send uh, five students of color to the UWC USA and um, be part of the Black Lives Matter movement in a way that makes a meaningful impact on education and the discourse in our country. So those are the three components of the United World Challenge mission, education, uh, engagement, and research. That's incredible. And, um, and thank you for that incredible change and gift. And I, I love that you're, um, you're thinking about where the, the resources that you've created around this project can be best put to use in, in making the world a better place. So that's incredible. I'd like to open us up to some questions for our members. And this has been an incredible discussion. So first, let me say, um, we hear about you, Tez, and this amazing story, this incredible and dangerous journey you're about to begin, your openness about struggling with depression in the past. Um, and it's easier for us to think, you know, this guy has it all figured out. He's doing it. Um, and that's what we all want, right? We want that momentum. We want to get back on our trajectory. We want to tackle our biggest challenges and win and come out on the other side, heroes of our own stories. Um, what advice do you have for those who see your story in their own way, in their own pursuits, 
want to emulate it. They want to get back on momentum, get back to their performance themselves. Two main pieces of advice. One is get clear on your why. And this can change. You don't have to have the same why your whole life. But you're going to create the biggest results when you're driven by something that deeply motivates you. And it could be learning. It could be impact. It could even be making a bunch of money so that you can do something with it. But get really freaking clear on that. Because if you're working against someone else's why, if you're working against a status you can achieve, that's ultimately someone else's reason. Because you're looking to be perceived in a certain way by others. And that only motivates you so far. And it's, I think it's, it's kind of going to set, set, set you back. So the why is really important. Mm-hmm. And the other then is a crew, a team. This is me in a rowboat, but there's a whole crew and team behind me. And they hold me accountable. You know, like uh, the other day, Aaron, I sent you a video to show you the founder's first logo on the boat. And you were like, hey, that's awesome. By the way, I'm hearing some tension on your, in your voice. Have you been doing your breath work? It's like, fuck, no, I haven't, man. Like, thank you. And you weren't calling me out. You're calling me in. You're saying, hey, I see you. You're doing awesome work and you can do even better. And that's where community and crew comes in. And I see that as a huge part of what you guys are doing in Founders First because there's no lone wolf out there. That's a fallacy. Mm-hmm. Anybody who's out there making huge change, they have a team around them. And so come up with your team who believes in your why and who also knows that you're a person, that you have values and beliefs and feelings and emotions and need to listen to them and use them. And they're not just going to hold you accountable to the results you want to drive, but your personal health and your well-being. And so the why and your crew. I love that. And I love that point about being able to be vulnerable with your crew and and just be a human being, right? Because I think it becomes, we take all the pressure on ourselves if among, you know, the relationship between us and our team is us having to be perfect, right? And, you know, everyone believing in some way that we're perfect as well. Um, That breaks down very quickly, right? Being able to say, here's where I'm struggling or here's where I don't think I'm strong enough and see if the team can support you in that case. Obviously, in this case, no one's going to be able to drop in that rowboat and row for you, but they can also come get inside your head from a distance and share ways that they think you could be successful and help you get back on track. And so I love Yeah, that. 100%. And it's not even, sometimes we can't see those areas. We can't say, hey, this is where I'm struggling or this is where I need help. It's like we're a bottle with ingredients, but we can't read our own label. So we need other people around us to read the, read the ingredients back and be like, you got something in there that's not serving you, dude. Like, we can come up with a better mixture. And so having that team around you that can, that can hold you accountable to, to see the things that you can't see yourself. I love that analogy. I'm going to use that. That's a really clear way to describe it. I love it. So this is terrific. Thank you. Um, I'm sure our group has some questions they'd like to ask. I see a couple in chat. I want to just kick one off first because this is the one that the whole time is you mentioned the little cabin that you're going to be in on the boat getting tossed around all night in, in waves. Do you expect to be able to sleep? Are you going to actually be able to sleep a proper amount every night or day? When are you going to sleep? Uh, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. I slept on the boat for the first time last night and it wasn't an awesome night's sleep, I'll be honest. Um, but you get used to anything. Humans are super adaptable, man. And I'm just trusting that. So one cool thing about being a solo is I make my own schedule. Mm-hmm. I can row when I want. I can sleep when I want. 
ocean mm-hmm. rowers should go in teams, whether it's a team of two, three, four, or eight, are in shifts that are clockwork. They're militaristic. It's two hours on, two hours off from when you start to finish. And um, I'll be able to get a night's rest. The one thing I have to do is pay attention to some of my alarm systems. I turn on an, a device called an AIS, uh, Automatic Identification System, which alerts me if I'm on a collision course with another vessel, which sounds really unlikely in a great big ocean, but it has happened where ocean rowers are run over by a fishing boat or something else. So I'll have my AIS on and that gives me an alarm. If I'm on a collision course, I'll wake up, get on my PHF radio, contact that boat and tell them to change their course because I can't change course that easily. Um, so, you know, the first couple of weeks, I do not expect to sleep that well. There's a lot to learn. Uh, and I will have to work really hard to get away from the coast. But once I'm out in the ocean, yeah, I, I hope to get some good night's rest and enjoy myself. Good luck, my friend. The, uh, the first question uh, comes from Keith Roberts. He's, he asks, what's the longest distance that you've rode to date? <laughs> A very common question. Yes, thank you, Keith. Um, about eight or ten miles. Uh, so the next couple of days are going to be important. Um, I just got this boat in the water, and I'll be doing a bunch of training here the next few days. Um, that sounds insane, and it is a little bit, it is a little bit, um, you know, suboptimal. I would have loved to have had a bit more training in, uh, but things take a while, and the boat just got finished, and I have a window here to pull this off. People have rowed an ocean with no time in their boat before. They've showed up, gotten in their boat, and rowed, rowed, rowed an ocean. So they've done that on the Atlantic. Um, the Pacific is another beast. So the, mm. the next few days will be really important to get as comfortable and familiar with the boat as possible. Um, and I'll be sleeping on it for the next few nights, not tied up to a dock, but anchored out in the water, getting oh, wow. blown, blown about a bit more. So that'll help give me my sea legs. Yeah. So you've done 10 miles before, so you just need to do that again 240 times. Right? <laughs> that's, that's not so bad. That's not so bad. <laughs> that's not so bad, right? All right. <laughs> Uh, so Anthony asked uh, a great question. So what do you think will be the most difficult challenge during your journey and how are you going to overcome it? I don't know. I really don't know. Um, there are a few things, right? It's a long time to be away from people. Mm-hmm. I keep great company with myself. I, I look forward to this time of getting to know myself, but I also started a relationship i i got a girlfriend six months ago which i wasn't planning on that makes this whole thing a lot harder um and so partially missing her partially also my concern is distancing myself from her because to be so focused on this project i need to be in the boat at all times i need to have my mind and heart in the boat i need to be looking after my safety and then there are all these mission components of the project around sharing the story and so I won't have a whole lot of time to talk to her, to stay connected. And my concern is, you know, coming back to the land and feeling like um, we have to kind of start over getting to know each other, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's, that's one concern that, that's on my mind. Um, but just taking that day by day. You mentioned to me that most ocean rowers come out on the other side of their journey. You said a little bit weird for the first couple of days. Reintegration back into society. What are you just thinking ahead to that experience? Like, what could that possibly be like? Not seeing another human for ninety days and then falling into a group of supporters on the other end when you arrive. Yeah, totally overwhelming and a massive mix of emotions. Um, I'm sure on the one hand I'll be absolutely elated to see everybody. On the other hand, 
like, where do you start telling the story? Where do you, you know? Um, and I expect it's pretty overwhelming. And so, you know, coming back to the same things we're talking about, knowing what are the things I need to do to take care of myself. Because when I land, when I get back to land, another journey begins of reintegrating and making sure that I have the time and space to look after myself, get the sleep I need, get the, the if I need a little bit of space, being able to take that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, speaking up for myself, if I, <laughs> for, for what I need in those days, because there's going to be, um, there's going to be a lot of different things that I'll want to do and, and want to reconnect with people, but I'll just have to pace myself. Yeah. Well, um, Jason asked a question. So he said, ocean rowing is new to me. Um, after doing marathons and Ironman competitions, how did you decide on this as your next challenge? Why go from land to sea? <laughs> yeah. I saw a film. I saw a film that inspired me. Uh, a woman who had rowed around the world and she was kayaking the Aleutian Islands and made a reference to ocean rowing. And I just thought, wait a minute, let me learn about that. Can a novice do that? Because these rowboats self-right, if it capsizes, it just pops back up. The bottom is weighted with ballast and the equipment and water. And the two cabins are like air bubbles and all my equipment is strapped down. Mm-hmm. So it pops back up and I'm on deck. I'm tethered. I have a climbing harness that I'll wear at all times and a safety line that's a, uh, a tether that's attached to a safety line. So even if I'm on deck and there's a capsize, you just I'll just climb back on. Not fun, but manageable. What this means is there aren't that many massive technical challenges out here. There are things to do to make myself more comfortable so that it gives me the best opportunity to make the most ground early on, to stay safe, um, to be able to row in harder conditions and maximize my chance of success. But there aren't that many massive technical things. And so when I realized, wow, a, a novice can go and row an ocean, that sounds like an incredible experience for growth and transformation. Um, mm-hmm. And so it was that it was that personal piece that really spoke to me early on. And then as I got more into it, then the mission started growing and there were all these different aspects. But it just it's a rare opportunity because ocean rowing does two things that I think almost nothing else does. On the one hand, it seems like it should be impossible. How can someone possibly row themselves across an ocean? Mm-hmm. But you can do it. So that that opens up this optimism and this courage that's huge it's 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 a game changer to be able to say wow that impossible thing i can go and do that but here's the thing you get to the other side and you didn't conquer the ocean you survived Mm -hmm. at no point are you in total control it's a dance of surrender and humility and remembering the ocean is boss and so that humility piece these these two ingredients courage and humility together i think are really powerful for leadership and so from a personal development perspective you know, I don't want to become a professional ocean rower. That's not my mission. I have a lot of other work I want to do, businesses I want to start. But this experience of seeing that the impossible is possible and remembering that I'm still really small, having a bigger picture, that spoke to me. And, and, and it's a totally different thing from anything I'd done before. And I like the idea of, I don't want to do incremental growth. You're not going to get very far that way. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you say, I've done A, then I can do B, then I can do C. Life is short. You're going to run out of years before you run out of letters. So I wanted to pick something that was really wild, that would make everything else I've ever done a footnote in my life. (laughs) And then after I do that, I'll do it again with something else. And when I look back in 20 years, 
holy shit, I can't see where I'm going, you know, where I'll end up. When I started endurance sports, I could have never imagined I'd be doing ocean rowing. In fact, I remember watching a TED talk by Roz Savage, the first and only woman to row all three oceans, Atlantic, Indian, Pacific solo, who's now one of my advisors. And when I saw her TED talk, I thought, wow, she's really cool. Too bad I'm not that cool. I could never do that. <laughs> Fast forward some years, you know, and I get to a point where I feel like one, I can do that. And then two, I have the network to reach out to Roz and ask her for, to be one of my advisors. So you just don't know when you push yourself and pick goals that are genuinely scary and then equip yourself to actually pull them off. You're a different person at the end. And this just seemed like the biggest possible challenge I could do that would help me grow and make an impact in the world. That dovetails incredibly with uh, a question by from Najima. And so you just mentioned reaching out to this incredible person you never would have been comfortable reaching out to in the past. You've got a big team around you, um, as you mentioned earlier. How do you, what was that like approaching those people? How did you have the confidence to go out and ask all these people to be part of something that you're building? Well, first of all, it's going out and asking for advice, you know, and building a relationship with people and coming to them from a sense of curiosity. And in a lot of cases, they'll want to help you. If you connect with someone as a person to person, they want to help. People want to help as part of being a human. And so giving folks the opportunity to help, they'll step up, especially if your mission is there. If I was just doing this to go and have the experience alone, I wouldn't have the team around me that I have. But raising scholarships, raising awareness about the ocean, doing research, these are all pieces that people want to be a part of. They want to have meaning in their life, mm -hmm. you know, beyond just work. And so that makes it a lot easier to make that ask. And the more, yeah, the, people, people want to help and be a part of it. So mm -hmm. that's one. And then two, there's no harm if someone says no. Hmm. You know, you don't have to take that personally. You have every right to ask and they have every right to turn it down. But I think we perceive the stakes to be really high when we ask for help. Mm -hmm. But I think that's in our heads. That's still a journey I'm learning on. The hardest part of this for me was launching my crowdfund and raising funds. Asking people for financial help is one area where I, I, I struggle to do that directly. And, um, and so I totally understand where the question is coming from. Mm -hmm. uh, but I find that so many of the barriers are actually in our heads and not in the other person. Yeah. Is, is it fair to say this isn't really the Tez Steinberg show, right? This is you know, you're raising money for scholarships for people in underserved communities. You're doing research to measure the impact across the world of microfibers. Um, you're inspiring people to chase their own dream, right? This isn't about paying money to Tez to help him row across an ocean so he can feel like he's the, the strongest person in the world, right? This is much bigger than that. Yeah, yeah. I'm just the tip of the iceberg. And so people, people want to be a part of it. And it's not even about... Uh, credit you know there i have a team on my website but that's the tip of the iceberg i have so many more people who are involved on the media campaign folks who are building this interactive map of our journey this journey and they just want to help right so it's yeah people people want people want to be a part of it yeah so rob asked the question um when's the launch date and i also want to ask you to share with people how can we how can people on this call there's folks here with us live on zoom we're also broadcasting this on facebook live so folks out there who are watching how can they support you so when's the launch date and how can we get behind you to help make this a successful mission thank you rob um launch date is targeting mid-june um 
It's a question of what the next few days look like in terms of training, any tweaks I want to make to my equipment here while I'm in Washington and have all the tools in the workshop where the boat was built. Um, so early next week, probably on Monday, I'll start driving down the coast, get it down to San Francisco, spend a couple of days staging my equipment on land and then get the boat in the water, make some final adjustments, rest, because I'm going seven days a week right now and I need to be rested before I hit the water. So take a few days to rest, recover, and then launch. So it could be as soon as June 14th. That seems a little unrealistic right now, a little optimistic. But um, if I can be ready and looking for a weather window by then, great. It'll come down to weather conditions for what the actual date is. So sometime between mid-June and early July, depending on weather. Um, as far as following, so look up United World Challenge. Uh, you can go to unitedworldchallenge.org. Find United World Challenge on social media. Of course, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. We also have a podcast. And Aaron was a guest on one of our recent episodes. Uh, the podcast is going to be pretty cool because I can only send videos of you know, 30 seconds or a minute a few times a week. So they won't be deep dives into the story. If you want to know what's going on in my mind and my heart, what the journey is really like and get into the nitty gritty, that's the podcast. Because I'll be sending back audio samples a few times a week. And my producer will stitch those into weekly episodes. So look up United World Challenge on any social media account. If you want to support, there are a few ways. Um, one is a page called Pirate Booty, which is where I have some of our partners and sponsors. So awesome companies that are part of this project, like my sunglass company, Ombras. They plant 20 trees for every pair sold. They sequester 300 times the carbon it takes to produce and ship a pair to you. Uh, and they also happen to be the best sunglasses I've ever owned. These are actually transition eyeglasses. Um, but they've hooked me up with a bunch of pairs. I have companies like them on there where you can get a coupon code to get their products and a commission comes back to support the United World Challenge. So uh, you can look at Pirate Booty. And if you're inspired to make a contribution, I'm just in the final 5% of the crowdfund. If you go to unitedworldchallenge.org and you want to support there, I would love to have your donation as well. We'll be sharing updates from uh, Tez inside the Founders First community. So community.foundersfirstsystem.com if you're not already there. You can also search for Founders First Community in the App Store on your iOS or Android device and come in and join the conversation about mental health and performance with founders inside the community. And we'll be sharing Tez's updates there as well. And we will all be cheering you on. So Tez, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing your amazing story. We wish you nothing but the best on your journey and really can't wait for those updates. And we, we will all be nervously looking forward to pictures of you arriving safely in Hawaii. So from all of us, just absolute best of luck to you, my friend. Stay safe out there. Thank you for everybody who joined us on Zoom and on Facebook Live today. Terrence, best wishes, my friend. Thank you, Aaron. Appreciate it, buddy. We'll talk soon. Thanks, everyone, for your input. Cheers. Thank you for joining us at Founders First. This conversation continues in the Founders First community. Search Founders First Community in the App Store on your phone to learn how to prioritize your health and wellness to become more successful, get your questions answered by top entrepreneurs, and receive notifications about upcoming shows. Until next time, stay healthy, be at your best, go change the world.